Welcome back to the Darting Through the Faith podcast. <laughs> I'm Father Sean Wilson, your Julia Manin, Julia right. Manin, That's right. sometimes known as Julia. Right. And uh, we're going to podcast here. We are. It's a beautiful day to do that. It's it is. gloomy outside. Right. We were thinking about doing the live podcast outside Oh. Um, because we had a bunch of fans that wanted to kind of be in the <laughs> backdrop and sure. kind of cheer us on as we were going yeah. and, you know, kind of like, ooh, whenever we said something profound. <laughs> Uh, but we had to cancel all of that because of the rain. So, so disappointing. Yeah, I know. I know. So, ooh, when we say something <laughs> profound. Yes. Yeah. They'd have been doing that the whole time. We'd have been I so know. distracting. I know. I know. In all honesty, like we've talked in this room, like I don't think on camera, but off camera about the possibilities of doing a live recording. <laughs> you remember that? How fun that was going to be? And we were going to like do it at a restaurant and throw a knife instead of a dart. Yeah, I do remember that. That's been a while. Just all sorts of good ideas. Yeah. So. Yeah, we're chocked full of them. (laughs) We're chopped full of them. We're chopped Ah. full of good ideas and witty puns. That's right. That should be in our description for this show. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway, it is a. We could do it at LS Teca. That's what we talked about. That's what we talked about. Ah. That's what we talked about. Yeah. And we could taco about Jesus. Taco about Jesus at Ellis Tucker. We could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should sometime. Yeah. Uh, you don't know? You know? I don't know. It'd be fun to do it live sometime. I I would just like to eat a burrito while I'm doing it, you know? Mm. <laughs> we don't have talk to with my mouth. We can just bring you a burrito next time. We could. Yeah. That'd be the trial run. A sure. burrito. A yeah. podcast and burrito. <laughs> yeah. I you can do it. You can do it. I know you can. I mean, I have a lot of practice in talking with my mouth full. And I think in, yeah, I, <laughs> no, sorry. I, I'm having this visual of you eating like a Chipotle burrito, like with one hand without, like, without making a mess in any way, shape or form. I actually am pretty good at that. I'm like, I that mean, I, I can, I can keep a Chipotle burrito as long as, you know, it's, yeah. it's well wrapped. Yeah. I, I could, uh. I mean, I, there's been numerous times on a road trip, sure. getting a Chipotle burrito and eating it in the car, yeah. and just having like three pieces of rice on my lap. I was like, "That's solid." Yeah, I mean, it's, it might be one of the things I take most pride in, <laughs> which means I don't have a whole lot going for me. But <laughs> it's impressive. I I yeah. actually think it is impressive. Well, thanks. I mean, thanks. you've seen you've seen Chipotle burrito like. Mm-hmm. I got to get in those with a knife and fork, oh. you know? In fact, I gave up on them a long time ago and just get the bowls. The bowl I- is fun because it's fun to scoop with chips. Yeah, sure. Sorry, I kind of cut you off no, there. No, it's fine. <laughs> Obviously, you're very passionate about this, yeah. so you ter- certainly can have the mic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back. it is an impressive skill. So I have no doubt that I could put a burrito in front of you while we were podcasting, and you could eat that, mm. talk, and not make a mess the mm. whole time. And I think we should do that for fun sometime who would that be fun for i mean it would be for me i'm just curious if it'd be fun for me really yeah why wouldn't that be fun i I don't know watching somebody eat you've made me do the show looking at you with a mohawk and and a terrible mustache and whatever that last thing was monkey Monkey tail tail. that was pretty cool that was that was i said that before but that was the least worst of them all because i could only see half your face anyway Mm, so i couldn't get the whole profile yeah or i was only getting the sign yeah anyway Anyway, so it would be fun hmm. for me. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. What about this? I got this idea just now. Okay. What if my hair, you know, it's kind of got a bit of an orange tinge to it mm-hmm. a little bit. Sure. What if I shaved it like a basketball lines, you know, like an orange basketball? 
Like just really thin, like lines? I don't know if you would cut the the basketball lines into the hair mm-hmm. or you would only leave the basketball lines, but this just, just came to me. Mm-hmm. And you could like dribble. Mm-hmm. Sure, try it out. Sure. You know, back in the day, like when I was growing up, like the guys would do that and their hair like would shave numbers in the back of their head mm. and stuff. Yeah, you know? the Nike swoosh was popular mm-hmm. in my high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, popular. Mm-hmm. I remember it happened. Did you ever do any of that Mm-mm. with your hairstyle? Mm-mm. No. No. Weren't allowed? Didn't have a desire? Tell me more. I don't know. I don't yeah. remember ever asking for sure. it. Sure. Um, sure. Sure. Well, you're a lot younger than me, too. It was probably phasing out by the mm. time you were... Could be. Yeah. I don't. I mean, it was it was present, so yeah. I just... Mm-hmm. Did we you ever go- had a mullet? No, no. No. That never really caught on in my high school oh, okay. where I was. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't think mullets were really a thing when I was in school either. Right. It was before and now, all of a sudden, now. And now. Yeah. Well, I don't know why they came back, but... And that's a discussion for another day. Yeah. <laughs> so... Every now and then, the hair on the back of my neck... Actually, it is kind of right now. It yeah. gets a little too long, and it's like, I need to... Have my mullet cut. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Anyway. That'll be next week on the Darting Through the Faith <laughs> podcast. I'm eating a burrito while my mullet's getting cut and we're talking about the Catholic faith. Uh-huh. Wow. I say if the topic, if the to- we were thrown on something that the topic like leans into a mullet cut and burrito party, we go for it. I have no idea what that yeah, topic that would, would be. Of course, it was going to be the next question. <laughs> but if we ever mullet like throw the dart in Atlanta and we're like, this is it. This is it. This, this ties in perfectly. Yeah. We do it. Okay. We do it. You know, I'm now, you know, I know that there's not anything that's, that's going to lead into. Yeah. But sure. You know, if that door opens, sure. let's walk into it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Great. Okay. Let's pray. We let's should pray. Do it. In the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks for your abundant goodness. And in uh, this day, we thank you for ordering your church in such a way to, to set apart people, to, to serve the people of God and to be focused on your, your, um, holy things to be focused on your life. And we ask that you may renew uh, the vocation of all bishops, priests, and deacons, that they may always be on fire with love for you. We entrust their vocations in our lives, all those of our listeners, into Mary's hands. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. From the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. We are in paragraphs 1554 to 1571. The three levels of holy orders. You mentioned it in your prayer there, bishops, priests, deacons. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about today. And where are we in the catechism? Well, we're in the sacraments section. So that's the second the second section on the uh the sixth sacrament, I think, that it touches, uh holy orders. So Mm -hmm. ordination. So through the through the sacrament of holy orders, through going through the rite of ordination, uh one receive or enters into the sacred order. So part mm-hmm. of the ordering the group that the Lord has set apart in the church for either the, uh, for bishops, priests and deacons. So sure. that's why it's ordination. It's to enter a certain order. And that's a very kind of Roman term to enter into this group, this order of, uh, of people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's a special sacrament for that. Sure. And so one sacrament, three degrees and, uh, they build upon each other. So I, I know, so, um, to be ordained a bishop, you have to be a priest. To be a priest, you have to be a deacon. To be a deacon, well, you've got to be baptized. Sure. And confirmed. Right. 
Yep. Okay. So this section is a little bit longer, too, than what we're used to. I don't know if you want to go paragraph by paragraph. No, like probably don't need to. Yeah. Um, we do have three in brief paragraphs that just summarize the bishop, the priest, and the deacon. Oh, that'd be nice. So if you're okay with that, I'll start with the bishop, and then we can talk about that. Sure. Uh, you know, what, why don't there's one introductory yep. paragraph um, that just talks about the divinely instituted ecclesiastical ministry is exercised in different degrees by those who even from ancient times have been called bishops, priests, and deacons. Mm-hmm. So this isn't a medieval invention. This is this is in the New Testament. Already in the New Testament, there are episcopi, that's the, the word for, for bishops. There's presbyters, there's word for priests, there's mm-hmm. those involved in service, diaconia. So we even get that in the Acts of the Apostles. So this is not like a medieval invention. This is a very ancient uh, early part of the church's life is having these people, men set apart for for service of God and their neighbor. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you, we need, you want to talk about the uh, two degrees of ministerial participation in the priesthood of Christ? The epi- Episcopacy. Episcopacy. There That's it is. Hard. Episcopacy. And the presbyterate. 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 Yeah. There's a lot of ones that I'm like, I'm just going to let you read them all. Sure. Because there's a lot of that in there. The diaconate is intended to help and serve them. Right. Right. Okay. So the um, so deacons don't participate in the priesthood of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. except in their virtue of their baptism, like the rest the rest of the baptized. Do. Sure. So they they participate. So they're ordained and configured to Christ the servant, mm-hmm. um, or serving in Christ. So there this 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 life of service, and you get that. For, well, I guess we can we'll get to it eventually. So mm-hmm. yeah, sure thing. Um, for this reason, the term. Sacerdos? Sacerdos. Ah. Yeah, but sacerdos, sacerdos. Okay. Sacerdos. Is in current usage denotes bishops and priests, but not deacons. Yet Catholic doctrine teaches that the degrees of priestly participation and the degree of service, and all three conferred by a sacramental act called ordination. That is by the sacrament of holy orders. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's all coming from that introductory paragraph, as you mentioned, 1554. Right-o. Okay, then we get into the section about bishops. The in brief paragraph that relates to this is 1594. It reads, The bishop receives the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders, which integrates him into the Episcopal College and makes him the visible head of the particular church entrusted to him. As successors of the apostles and members of the college, the bishops share in the apostolic responsibility and mission of the whole church under the authority of the pope successor of St. Peter, integrates him into the fullness, the fullness of the sacrament of mm-hmm. holy orders, uh, makes him the visible head of the particular church. We talked about that, I think, just last episode. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. The, the diocese, parti- mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, entrusted to him, and then a successor, of course, of the apostles, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So, yeah, so the, all of that is fleshed out in the paragraphs 1555 through 1561. So quite a bit about the uh, about the bishops. So part of receiving the fullness of the Sacrament of Holy Orders is basically the bishops have in their ability to, um, to um, what would you say, it, sacramentally, right? They, they're able to do everything, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have a fullness. There's a totality there in their ability to to celebrate the sacraments. So, for example, a priest can only celebrate confirmation if the bishop gives him permission to. The bishop doesn't need permission from anybody else to mm-hmm. confirm. He always has the the authority to do so. Um, so, so the, in the fullness of teaching, right? Like part of the role of the bishop is to safeguard uh, a pr- 
proper teaching of the Catholic faith, and even in in governance. Mm-hmm. So the bishop is fully responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so and and then in their life they are um, there's an unbroken chain of passing down this episcopal this life as a bishop mm-hmm. from the apostles. So we call that apostolic succession. So you can trace back who which bishop ordained which bishop back to the the apostles. Now that has you know historical records getting burned, getting lost, and getting forgotten. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you can't go all the way back, but we have this belief and this understanding that it's always been this way of bishops um, chain going all the way back to the apostles. Mm-hmm. So that's apostolic succession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To fulfill their exalted mission, the apostles were endowed by Christ with the special outpouring of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and by the imposition of hands, they passed on to the, their auxiliaries the gift of the Spirit, which is transmitted down to our day through episcopal, no. Apostolic? No. Episcopal. Epis- episcopal, thank you. Sorry, uh, I lost consecration, you that's okay. Oh, that was reading is. 1556. Yeah, you sure. are good. Okay, so you mentioned that the office of sanctifying, office of teaching and ruling, governance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. They have the fullness mm-hmm. in each one, mm-hmm. and then in even their, um, they're they're the the visible sign of of union in the local church. So they're supposed to re- uh, they're supposed to represent Christ, the Good Shepherd, mm-hmm. in their entire local church. Which is why we we um, we say the name of the bishop every time we offer mass. That we're praying for him, and he is the the sign of the unity of the church. You think about it, we don't pray for the pastor of the church. We don't pray for anybody else. We don't say in union with so-and-so our pastor mm-hmm. because he's not the visible sign of unity of the parish. And the the particular church, the more important one is the diocese, this mm-hmm. recognizing that we belong to a to a diocese. Mm-hmm. And we did talk about that last mm-hmm. week, didn't we? Yeah, we sure did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In our day, the lawful ordination of a bishop requires a special intervention of the Bishop of Rome because he is the supreme visible bond of communion of the particular churches in the one church and the guarantor of their freedom. That's reading the end of 1559 there. Right. And that hasn't always been the case in history, that you know, maybe the, the group of priests could gather and elect who they want to be their bishop, that it didn't need something from Rome because, well, as transportation and communication would go, you, you wouldn't be able to hear back from Rome in so long and for so long. But in our own day and age, it, it secures the fact that you know the president of a country can't appoint the bishops and mm. so that it gives the freedom of the church to behave as the church knows she should behave instead of getting forced one way or another by um, governments. Now, can of worms to open up. The church in China right now is going through a just a, a mess with episcopal appointments, bishop appointment of bishops mm. because of a agreement that the you know this is maybe where opinion steps in between the Vatican and the Chinese government about how bishops would be appointed. And, you know, the Chinese government wanted some say in it. The The Vatican tries to work a deal so that people can have this access to the sacraments. And um, the, the Vatican wanted final say. Now, if the People's Republic of China is now strong arm in the Vatican in some ways or just ignoring, it's a whole mess. Mm. But the reason the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, has final say is so that we can be free to behave as we want and not we're not beholden to external forces, whether it is the government, whether it is um, influencers or, you know, however that may be. So 
Um, mm. And then part of that also is uh, this collegiality of bishops so mm. that you can't have, ideally you wouldn't be able to have a rogue bishop. Is There has to be three bishops there for the consecration of a new bishop. That's that's part of it, okay. um, to have three there who are officially two, one that is the principal consecrator and two that are the co-consecrators okay. of the bishop. So, um, and that shows that they're, they're not, it's not um, just me and just me and you, right? It's this collegiality, this college that the bishops enter in, in sharing governance of the entire church with the Pope. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Good. Okay. Good. Um, that, that, I, that you were touching on what was in 1560 there then too, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. That they, they should have a, a responsibility to all the churches, mm-hmm. right? For a bishop, it's not really supposed to be not my diocese, not my problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like, wow, that stinks over there. Mm-hmm. If there's problems going on in the universal church, the bishops have a responsibility, not all of them and not personal responsibility, but a care, as mm-hmm. it says, solicitude for all the churches. So there should be a concern for the bishops, for the entire universal church, not just, well, this is my diocese. Thanks to be you guys getting persecuted in Nigeria or something like that. Sure. So right. in some, the formal ways this happens is an ecumenical council. So a council gets convoked of all the bishops or a, a synod, right? A, the, the Pope can convene a synod. So all of the bishops on a particular topic and bishops represent other bishops. So mm-hmm. a synod might be a particular issue or yeah. So gotcha. that's how they participate in uh, care for the, all the churches. Gotcha. This section ends with 1561, which states, the above considerations explain why the Eucharistic celebrated by the bishop has a quite special significance as an expression of the church gathered around the altar with the one who represents Christ, the good shepherd and head of his church presiding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a particular, and it's not just like, oh, sh- that's the bishop. That's a real famous priest mm-hmm. who's celebrating. Mm-hmm. It's not just like because it's a it's a cool thing or it's mm-hmm. somebody important who showed up to celebrate Mass. Mm-hmm. It's because he's the visible representation of Christ to the flock in a particular diocese, and we gather around him as his sheep. Mm-hmm. So he's that's why he carries the staff, right? He's the chief shepherd of the diocese. And mm-hmm. so, so those are really important moments when we get to, um, when the bishop gets presides at mass. Mm-hmm. It's why if if the bishop is if there is a bishop present at mass, he doesn't can celebrate with a priest. Mm-hmm. Right? That just that does not happen mm-hmm. and it's and it's forbidden to happen that mm-hmm. he should be the principal the principal celebrant mm-hmm. and he is mm-hmm. at mass. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Right. Yep. Okay, anything else on that? Nope. That I think that level. that'll uh all right, the next, That'll be that. the next few paragraphs then, 1562 to 1568, is going to talk about um, priests. The in brief paragraph is 1595. It reads, Priests are united with the bishops in sacerdotal dignity and at the same time depend on them in the exercise of their pastoral functions. They are called to be the bishop's prudent co-workers. They form around their bishop the presbyterium, which bears responsibility with him for the particular church. They receive from the bishop the charge of a parish community or a, a determinate ecclesial office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this kind of shows how, well, priests aren't, we're not like lone rangers. None ever are, that we exist with and in and for a bishop. Mm-hmm. And it's part of, you know, we're ordained for a bishop for a particular diocese or for a religious community that the bishop then entrusts part of the pastoral care of his diocese too. So it's not... Uh, there, there ought to be a, a kind of a father-son relationship between the, the bishop and his priest. So this 
1562 talks about co-workers with the Episcopal order. So mm-hmm. we're supposed to be the workers under him, you know, in, you know, maybe army terms, he's the general and we're the foot soldiers that he, that he sends out to, sends out to battle. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. The office of priest shares in the authority by which Christ himself builds up and sanctifies the rules of his body. Excuse me. <coughs> I got it. Okay, so, thank you. <coughs> so the priesthood of priests, while presupposing the sacraments of initiation, is nevertheless conferred by its own particular sacrament. So that doesn't mean, um, I guess, the fact that we're the co-workers with the bishop doesn't mean like we have to call him for everything and get permission. He overturns with a, a spirit of trust to... The, his diocese, you know, what mm-hmm. he has ultimate responsibility for to to the priest. And so we participate in his work, and there's certain things he's given us permission to do. And we, priests all get this, you know, we get a pagel, it's called. It's basically our faculties of mm-hmm. basically the bishop gives us permission to do this in a diocese. Now, there's certain things that are presumed. So, um, so for example, it's presumed unless unless stated otherwise, that a, a priest has permission to hear confessions anywhere in the world that he goes, right? So unless said else otherwise. So hypothetically, if the, the Bishop of Toledo doesn't, uh, you know, hears I'm a terrible confessor and loosey-goosey in moral theology, he might say, hey, you're not allowed to come to my diocese to hear confessions. I'd be like, darn, I should probably convert. Um, <laughs> but, so, but generally, it's presumed that you have permission to hear confessions ever. Uh, everywhere. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Mm. But there's certain things he might reserve to himself. Mm. So the confirmation, he can reserve. Now all this is governed by canon law and all mm. that. So Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, but we do really participate in Christ the Head. That's the end of 1563. Priests yeah. do. Participation in Christ the Head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whilst not having the supreme degree of the pontifical office, the priests are for all that associated with them by reason for the sacerdotal Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Dignity. And in virtue of the sacrament of holy orders, after the image of Christ, the supreme and eternal priest, they are consecrated in order to preach the gospel and shepherd the faithful, as well as to celebrate divine worship as true priests of the New Testament. Okay. Yes. Okay. So priests of the New Testament, you mm-hmm. hear talk about priesthood in the New Testament. This presbyters, I think it's in First Timothy, he talks about that quite a bit. Um so we participate in that. It's a mm-hmm. continuation of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about 1566? Can we jump there? Absolutely. I think this is talking about um, the sacrifice of the mass, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, it is in the Eucharistic culture and the Eucharistic assembly of the faithful that they exercise in a supreme degree their sacred office. There, acting in the person of Christ and proclaiming his mystery, they unite the votive offerings of the faithful to the sacrifice of Christ, their head. And in the sacrifice of the Mass, they make present again and apply, until the coming of the Lord, the unique sacrifice of the New Testament, that, namely of Christ, offering himself once for all a spotless victim to the Father. From this unique sacrifice, their whole priestly ministry draws its strength. Yeah, so you could mm. you could point out a number of things that makes up the life of a priest. But mm-hmm. what this is saying in this paragraph is nothing is more important than offering the holy sacrifice of the mass. Mm-hmm. Not just as like a, and it's not in a performance way. Like this is the most important thing you do for the people, but this is the most important thing you do in your own life. This is the most important thing that you do uh, for the good of the church, for the mm-hmm. good of the people, even if people aren't there. Mm-hmm. It's important to offer this sacrifice because you're basically all 
up, what's it say? To present again, to present the sacrifice of Calvary and to apply its graces to the people who are present. Mm-hmm. And so this is the center of a, a priest's life. So no matter what, what is on the calendar, the most important thing is always the celebration of Mass. It's mm-hmm. why even if nobody's there, you're on vacation. It's why it's encouraged to celebrate Mass, that it's not something you do as work that like, well, good, I don't have to do that anymore. It's the center of life where we draw existence from. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that's why we. That's why we do it. The whole priestly ministry draws its strength. That's beautiful, mm-hmm. profound. Yeah, like keep that where it needs to go. The rest will make sense. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's why we, like, it's nice if the faithful can come to mass mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. It's essential for priests to celebrate mass mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. So. Oh yeah, right. Um, jumping sort of to the middle of 1567, priests can exercise their ministry only in dependence on the bishop and in communion with him. The promise of obedience they make to the bishop at the moment of ordination and the kiss of peace from him at the end of the ordination liturgy mean that the bishop considers them his co-workers, his sons, his brothers, and his friends, and that they in return owe him love and obedience. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So... Because of that reality, mm-hmm. the the devil always wants to kind of get in rifts between priest and his bishop, just mm-hmm. like in a family, right? The devil always wants to get in there to sow division, to kind of divide things, and that is never, never of the Lord. You know, to be able to to be at a fight with one another, to kind of now you might have to have loving conversations to say like, I don't think this is good, this isn't mm-hmm. the right way, but mm-hmm. um, but it it's part of you know as the catechism says to have this love and respect mm-hmm. for for our bishop, uh, love and obedience, and then he treats us as his sons, as brothers and friends. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. It's quite an important relationship. There's even in the rite of ordination, there's a number of times where he addresses the uh, those to be ordained as his beloved sons. Mm-hmm. And those are always kind of heartwarming, mm-hmm. um, heartwarming moments. So mm-hmm. does every bishop do that perfectly? No. Does every priest give love and obedience perfectly? No. Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of the, the goal of our life to work for. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, like even in the rite of ordination, we make different promises to pray the liturgy of the hours, to offer the sacrifice of the mass well, to be generous with the Lord's mercy and hearing confessions, all that sort of stuff. We all we do all of those as a group, right? Whoever's being ordained, if there's seven guys being ordained, they all do that as a group. Mm-hmm. But one by one, they go up to the bishop and do you promise respect and obedience to me and my successors? Mm-hmm. Those are the ones we make individually to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think, well, is that really such a big deal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Because Christ was obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to imitate him, well, it's going to be an obedience also. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. that's a good part of life, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, I had that conversation with somebody recently. They were kind of like wondering about their own life and kind of state in life and where they where they should go. And, you know, they were kind of, I don't know, having some just questions with jobs and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, how do you know? You know, because you're human. You've got to question things. It's like, actually, I have a great grace. Like, I know where I'm supposed to be because I'm where the bishop told me I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that is like a, just a beautiful thing to fall back upon is mm-hmm. this incredible grace of obedience. It's like, is this really working? Is this where I should go? And, you know, of course, those questions come. It's like, well... He told me to come here, and I promise obedience. So I, this is the will of God for my life, mm-hmm. and so it can obedience can sound like a really bad thing, mm-hmm. but it's a beautiful thing because we know where the Lord's calling us. Doesn't mean it's an easy thing, mm-hmm. um, but 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it's something to fall back upon when like the storms just kind of can come in life. Yeah. Just be like, well. Yeah, at the end of the day, like we're protected by that. Mm-hmm. There's freedom in it. To, yeah. Yeah, that piece to just know that, nope, this is what I was asked to do. Yeah. Beautiful story about like a religious order. And I don't know if this is true or if it was just like honing in on the beauty of obedience, but the, the, um, the prior of, of whatever the order was just telling the, the novice or whatever to just go out and just like water this tree every day, go out and water the tree, but the tree was dead and mm-hmm. there was, the tree was not coming back to life. And the person watering it, you know, was just like really frustrated with that reality of like, this is a waste of my time. I don't understand why I'm out here, but the lesson was not in bringing the tree back to life, but just like in being obedient and mm-hmm. in charity of art. Again, that's a simple story, but there's freedom in that. And like, no, this is what I was asked to do. Um, there's, it's not a sin to water a dead tree, right? <laughs> you know? So this is what, I, this is what the Lord is asking me to do. So this is what I'm going to be doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do with all the love in my heart. Right? right. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's a beautiful part of, of mm-hmm. the priesthood. Yeah. Religious orders in general, taking that promise of obedience. Um, all priests who are constituted in the order of the priesthood by the sacrament of the order are bound together by an intimate sacramental brotherhood. But in a special way, they form one priestly body in the diocese to which they are attached under their own bishop. Hmm. Yeah. Brotherhood of your fellow priests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So important, too. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. And it mentions like the brotherhood that exists just between any priest. Mm-hmm. But then there's a particular a particularity about one's diocese mm-hmm. that is is beautiful. And, you know, just... Sorry, you're getting random thoughts because you're talking to a priest and you're like talking it. about. But um, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of great people that I was in the seminary with. Mm-hmm. You know, guys who, um, you know, we were friends in the seminary, but were when were um, from a different diocese, and those mm-hmm. relationships were great. And just noticing after ordination how that changes, mm-hmm. they're still great. And when you get to talk to them, it's mm-hmm. wonderful. But there's something particular about the priests in our own diocese mm-hmm. that is like, well, we're we're actually the brothers getting going through this together. The other mm-hmm. guys, they're like brothers, but I don't know, they in a different family or something like sure. that. I, yeah, I don't know. It's no. like your cousins almost. Yeah. Um, right. But these, these are ones who, uh, yeah, so there's just something particular. Even guys who might be a lot older or a lot younger than me, there's a particular relationship in a diocese amongst mm-hmm. the priests. So... It's, it's been a beautiful reality for me recently to be at masses where there's been a lot of priests there, mm-hmm. like Father Alec, Alex Dugas's Mass of Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and stuff like that, where there'd be a lot of priests there in at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to watch that, I remember after his, his Mass, everybody at the end, you know, looking at the altar before you, um, you know... Genuflect and Genuflect and move, yes. Yeah. And it, there was this profound reality of, Oh, the Lord is building an army. I'm <laughs> mm. um, like, because you don't often see that. You don't often, right. you know, you see yeah. one priest at mass celebrating, if you see that at all. But to see a bunch mm-hmm. of, you know, young strapping priests. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd laugh at that. Flabby priests. <laughs> but there is something really beautiful about that. And you mentioning that, like, like you being, uh, like, did you say foot soldiers to the bishop or sure. coworkers is what the catechism yeah. was saying there. But you can see that reality. We don't see it often, but you can see that, like, that, that, that sense and that brotherhood that would mm-hmm. exist on the battlefield, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely. And is it would exist among you as well as you're offering that sacrifice for the Lord day in and day out. It's beautiful. It's yeah. a beautiful thing to yeah. be part of. Yeah. 
Um, the last section, then, last few paragraphs is talking about um, deacons. The in brief is 1596. It reads, Deacons are ministers ordained for tasks of service of the church. They do not receive the ministerial priesthood, but ordination confers on them important functions in the ministry of the word, divine worship, pastoral governance, and the service of charity, tasks which they must carry out under the pastoral authority of their bishop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and so 1569 mentions how at a the ordination of deacons, only the bishop lays hands upon the upon the men who are being ordained. At the ordination of priests, all the priests do. Mm-hmm. So, and the catechism points out that part of this signifies of the deacon's attachment to the bishop, not to the priest, and that's that's important. So, um, bishops aren't or, are sorry, bishops deacons aren't ordained for parishes. Deacons are ordained for the diocese to serve mm-hmm. the bishop in whatever capacity. They make a promise of obedience, not to the priest they serve, but to the bishop who ordains them. Mm-hmm. And that's always a, a real um, important thing. And it, it can be a hard thing for deacons because every now and then, now most of the time in our diocese, the practical application is deacons are assigned to serve the parish they grew up at and they they know, but sometimes they have to be sent to other places, be like, hey, you're, you're actually needed here and you promise respect and obedience mm-hmm. on your day of your ordination, so you got to go to the next door next door parish and mm-hmm. that can be a difficult thing for the people and the and the deacon but mm-hmm. but it's so it's a sign of like they don't serve at my goodwill right mm-hmm. there's spheres of pastoral activity the priest the pastor can turn over to him but they're assigned by the bishop to serve these people so mm-hmm. um it doesn't matter like hypothetically if you know didn't get along with a deacon say like hey, you can't serve here it's like actually the bishop told him he can serve here so mm-hmm. this is this is the sphere that the the lord has given him mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just a, a reminder that the the deacons serve the diocese, not the not the mm-hmm. parish. Fifteen seventy talks about the specifics. The you know deacons share in Christ's mission and grace in a special way. The sacrament of holy orders marks with them an imprint, which cannot be removed, and which configures them to Christ, who made himself the deacon or servant of all. Mm-hmm. Among other tasks, it is the task of the deacon to assist the bishop and priests in the celebration of the divine mysteries, above all the Eucharist in the distribution of Holy Communion, in assisting at and blessing marriages, in the proclamation of the gospel and preaching and presiding over funerals and in dedicating themselves to the very various ministries of charity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the original deacons were uh, for the widows, the Greek mm-hmm. widows that weren't being cared for to serve them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's grown a little bit since then. Mm-hmm. And actually it was immediately things grew. So mm-hmm. Philip is one of those deacons that's ordained. And then in the next chapter after Stephen's martyred, we find him out preaching to the uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. Mm-hmm. So, right, yeah, so yeah. things kind of just, things grew rather quickly. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't know if you see any deacons serving widows in the Acts of the Apostles. It's like mm-hmm. they just started doing all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Stephen starts preaching. Philip goes and preaches the the good news to the mm-hmm. Ethiopian. So mm. there's the role, though. You want to know all the things deacon can do, 1570. Can I ask, and that's not covered here. Maybe it's covered elsewhere in the catechism with the role of deacon, but isn't it more it, like in the distribution of Holy Communion, mm. um, you will see the deacon be distributing the precious blood, if that's mm-hmm. an option. Isn't that more proper for that to be done, and why is that? Oh, it's not on the tip of my tongue. Okay. It is the answer is yes. Yeah, okay. Like if there is the distribution of the precious blood, it should mm-hmm. be the the deacon who does that. Mm-hmm. If there's like an option, mm-hmm. but why that is, mm-hmm. 
is escaping me at this moment. We all have homework now. Yeah. Stay tuned next time on the Darting Through the Faith podcast <laughs> right. where Father Sean right. studies. Well, I shout out to I, I Deacon Jeff Little, who I think does listen to the show regularly. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he can enlighten us. He he probably could. Okay. He's a sharp cookie. All right. Well, if yeah. you're hearing this, Deacon, yeah, Deacon Jeff, Jeff Little, Little. Enlighten us, please. That's right. Text me. <laughs> Call or text me. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Well, All right. So just to clarify the question, though, because... Yes. It, why is it more appropriate for the deacon to distribute mm-hmm. the precious blood mm-hmm. rather than the body of Christ? Yes, that is the question. Okay. All right, last paragraph. Since the Second Vatican Council, the Latin Church has restored the diaconate as a proper and permanent rank of the hierarchy, while the churches of the East had always maintained it. Do you want to dissect that at all? Good. Um, so the diaconate, being a deacon was a mm-hmm. transitory thing. Mm-hmm. So you would transition from being a person of the laity to a priest. So there was never like, I'm going to be a deacon forever. Okay. So the second, so that did happen. You know, St. Lawrence was mm-hmm. a deacon forever. Now the thing, the, the new innovation in the permanent diaconate in the Latin church might be the fact that married men were ordained permanent deacons. Now that had always been the case in the Eastern Catholic Church. So your Ukrainian Catholics, your Byzantines, all of those had always had permanent deacons that were um, that were married. Mm-hmm. So the new thing, so there was permanent deacons in the Roman Catholic Church that fades out of use. And when it gets revived, they open it up to married men. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so as, as the Eastern Catholic Church had gotcha. for centuries. Okay. This permanent diaconate, which can be confirmed on married men, constitutes an important enrichment for the church's mission. Indeed, it is appropriate and useful that men who carry out a truly diaconal ministry in the church, whether in its liturgical and pastoral life or whether in its social and charitable works, should be strengthened by the imposition of hands, which has come down from the apostles. They would be more closely bound to the altar, and their ministry would, would be made more fruitful through the sacramental grace of the diaconate. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so it's a it's a relatively new thing, right? So it's a relatively new thing in the life of the church, mm-hmm. and I think one of those documents it was well, we just did fifty years. It was just mm-hmm. the fiftieth anniversary of the. Sorry, I got the burps right now. <laughs> uh, the reinstitution of the permanent deacon diaconate, and uh, so in some ways, like we're still reflecting on it, right? And it's mm-hmm. it's in the, as far as things go in the church, this is new. Right? Fifty five years old is. Is young, mm-hmm. um, so we're still like reflecting on what does it mean to be a permanent deacon. What is it, and and that's all a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like the same thing we're doing with concelebration. So that was something that was kind of revived after the Second Vatican Council that multiple priests would concelebrate, and we're still kind of like theologically reflecting on what does this, what does this mean? So, mm-hmm. so it's exciting just mm-hmm. to kind of see that lived out, and um, yeah, God bless our permanent deacons and. Uh, we got a great group of permanent deacons. I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. if I could say that enough, but uh, mm-hmm. our four permanent deacons are just wonderful to work alongside. Mm-hmm. So I've heard you say that publicly and privately mm-hmm. on multiple occasions. Yeah, well, yeah. it's true. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and they're a fun group of guys too. Yeah. They're they're uh, they're four very different men, mm-hmm. which is what makes them even better. Mm-hmm. No cookie cutters. That's awesome. Yeah. What about for any um, men that might be listening who are wondering about learning more, like mm. maybe feeling called to the permanent diaconate or even called to the life of priest too. Mm. If there's any listening. Yeah. Uh, don't do that thinking in isolation. Right. Mm. So there's, there's always like when we want to discern something, it's like, well, I'll just think hard enough and eventually an answer will show up. Mm. Any discernment 
exists in relationship to others. Mm. Um, so whether you're thinking about the permanent diaconate, I think every year they have informational sessions throughout the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Maybe just go to one of those. You know, you're not signing on the dotted line or anything. Just go to one of those and see like what it's about, what the formation's like, and maybe it'll just be like strong no, or maybe it's like, nah, I should see about the next steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing goes with uh, with the priesthood. You know, if you're interested or at least curious or just kind of questioning, well, don't do that in isolation. Mm-hmm. Talk to somebody else about it. Talk to a priest. Talk to, talk to a, a permanent deacon and mm-hmm. just kind of figure out what the next steps are or if mm-hmm. this is a realistic or maybe I'm completely misunderstanding what this life is and I need a little bit of kind of a clarification. So just don't do it in isolation. Keep mm-hmm. praying about it. But um, the Lord gives us each other because we need each other. Mm-hmm. So. And those aren't decisions that you make on your own, like Correct. to be admitted and, and, yeah. and it, it, that's something you discern with Holy Mother Church. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Because the church says, you know what? I don't think you're cut out for this. Or, I, you know, it's just not working out. Right. Mm-hmm. Same thing goes with being a bishop. Right. You don't mm-hmm. discern. I don't write to Pope. I feel called to be a bishop. And um, so. I'd be the best. I'd be the best. Could I'd be, be great. You'd be lucky to have me. <laughs> Hard, <laughs> hard no. Hard no. Yep. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Don't do it in isolation. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Right. Right. Okay. Anything else with this? I think that's... Three levels of holy orders. Yeah. Did you learn yourself something today? Me? I did. I learned that I don't know the answer to that question. Oh, right. Well, you knew it. I just put you... I said it's, it wasn't in this section. It's not. But... Well, I learned something. I you I think when you threw the dart there last week, three levels of holy orders it did not... Like bishop, priest, and deacon... Did not like did that regulate in your head like that's what we're talking about? Maybe you good, don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like good priest, bad priest, mediocre priest. Three <laughs> levels of ho- holy right. orders. So, right. Yeah. Right. Just a point of clarification: when I created this, I wrote three levels of holy oh, orders. Yeah? Yeah. The catechism regularly says three degrees of three holy degrees. orders. Okay. Yeah. So let's go with that. Three degrees of holy orders. Maybe we should title it that, Grace. Three degrees of holy orders. Three degrees of holy orders. Fahrenheit, Celsius, and Kelvin. (laughs) Remember Kelvin from high school chemistry class? Kelvin. Kelvin. Yeah. Who could forget Kelvin? Who could forget Kelvin? He's twin brothers. Well, you know, I want you to throw it on the one that opens the doors to trimming mohawks and eating burritos. Okay. Oh, we already went there. That was actually the same one we just did. Three levels of holy orders. There it is. The Father, the Son, and the Father and the Son in the Liturgy, 1076 to 1090. The Father and the Son in the Liturgy. Okay. I think there was another section about the Holy Spirit in the Liturgy. Maybe we did that. Maybe we didn't. But we're just going to take the Father and the Son. Okay. That's enough. Okay. Good. All right. Well, we're going to end with um, 1 Timothy. No, 2 Timothy is oh, what we're going to end with. Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 14. For this reason, I remind you to stir into flame the gift of God that you have through the imposition of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather of power and love and self-control. So do not be ashamed of your testimony to our Lord, nor of me, a prisoner, for his sake. But bear your share of hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from God. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not according to our works, but according to his own design and the grace bestowed on us in Christ Jesus before time began. But now made manifest through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed preacher and apostle and teacher. On this account, I am suffering these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know him in whom I have believed and am confident that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. 
Take as your norm the sound words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard this rich trust with the help of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us.